Well, if you would, open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 2. Did you catch the last words of that, that song? I thought the music, the, songs, the, the song selection this morning was excellent. And that last song where it talked about conceal, in thy, conceal those truths within thy word. And that's what we want to do this morning. Uh, that's what we always do as we look at the text. is not only to understand what it means, but also to know how to apply it. And so I do invite you to follow along uh, in your Bible, in your scripture journal, in the Pew Bible there in front of you, so you can indeed see where these words are coming from. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, though I'm going to start at verse 11, and we'll read through verse 16. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, For there is no partiality with God, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in the hearts their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. Father, this is a challenging paragraph that you have placed before us this morning, and We want to know how to understand it so that we can apply it. And so, Lord, I would just invite your spirit to illuminate this text for us so that we can understand, so that we can apply, and so that can take root within our heart the truths that your word teaches. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've just simply called this this morning, thinking is for doing part two. Um, It seemed fitting. I was raised with the understanding that no one dies without hearing the name of Jesus, without hearing the gospel clearly and fully explained to them. No one dies without having the opportunity to either accept or to reject Jesus. It did not take long for me to realize that this belief did not and does not match reality. This belief did not match and does not match what the Bible teaches. But that's as far as I allowed my mind to go. The truth was before me, but I refused to think about it because it was just too troubling. Well, it all came to a head one day when the question of what about those who have never heard the gospel came crawling up out of the cellar of my mind and placed it front and center. It's as though this ugly beast sat right in front of me and demanded, you will deal with me. I will no longer be ignored. And so this paragraph that is before us this morning is part of the answer to the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? From this paragraph, I have three headings, which will build the case for this and others. It's just simply the dilemma, the argument, and the principle. We find the dilemma in verse 12. 
before we get into verse 12 in the dilemma, I want to when, once again, I want to back up just a little bit and pull forward what we have already covered. Verse 11, because verses 12 through 16, they kind of springboard off of verse 11. So in verse 9, Paul writes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 10, the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. And now we must first admit this morning that within us there is partiality. Within us it is difficult, if not impossible, for us to be impartial. And we need to look no farther than how we view and the view of ourselves. We are lenient with ourselves. We are lenient with our families. We are lenient with our circle of friends. We are lenient with our our country. And the circle just continues to branch out, does it not? We tend to be biased people. Because of this, we tend to see God in this same light as a biased God, as favor shown or bestowed upon certain people. We believe that God shows favoritism towards individuals. He shows favoritism towards countries. He he shows favoritism towards people groups. And this is true to a point, but not as we view it or understand it. So we must understand this principle. And that's why I wanted to start with verse 11. Before we can go farther, we must understand this principle that there is no partiality with God, verse 11, hard stop, period. (laughs) There is no partiality with God. Let's look at verse 12 and the dilemma. What is the dilemma of verse 12? All have sinned without the law. All have sinned under the law. The dilemma of verse 12 is sin. What we don't like is that word sin. We like to avoid it as much as we possibly can avoid it. And yet we are faced with it time and time again. And we are born sinners. I was reminded for some reason of the comic strip, Born Losers. And I thought, we are born losers. And so, I guess if you will like that. And so I looked up one of the comic strips, and the first one that popped up, I kid you not, was this. Maybe it's because Mother's Day is next week. I'm not sure. But forgive me, I will quote a comic strip. So the born loser says, in the interest of keeping the peace while your mother visits this weekend, it might be helpful if you ask her to think of me as your significant other. The significant other of the born loser replies, I've tried that already. She says she thinks of you as my insignificant other. Yeah. Probably should have left that one on the desk. But two words, significant, insignificant. They're only different by two letters. Significant. Sufficiently great or important to be worthy of attention. Insignificant. A person without power or influence. So it's just two little words or two little letters, but such a vast difference in meaning. 
See, I think of myself as significant, as great or important, to be worthy of attention. I demand attention. Insignificant, a person without power or influence. That is us when we're trying to deal with our sin. We have no power over our sin. That is the dilemma that we are left with in verse 12. I want to once again remind you, because I don't think it can be overstated, of Adam and Eve. And that Adam and Eve knew right from wrong. They knew right from wrong. We often think that there was this this state of perfection that they were living within. And yet God gave them free will to make a choice. Adam and Eve knew right from wrong. And by their own admission, they clearly understood the instructions of God. Their response to the snake or the Satan or the creepy crawler guy. From the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. Clear instructions. They repeated the instructions. They fully understood the instructions. Why did they not listen to the instructions? Why did they go ahead against what they knew God had directly spoken to them. Why did they eat this fruit? I don't know. Romans 5 verse 12 does tell us, just as though one man, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin So death spread to all men because all sinned. It includes everyone. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the dilemma is sin, and Paul will continue to hammer home this point. I'm tired of it also. Paul continues to hammer home this point that we all are under the curse of sin, and there is absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And Paul is building a doctrine, and so I don't want to just leave us hanging on sin. Paul is building a doctrine. Paul is setting the stage for the grand doctrine of faith alone in Christ alone, which will come at the turn of uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He turns the corner. But until that time, Paul continues to hammer home this idea that we are sinners, that we are under the influence of sin, and there's nothing that we can do. But Paul is building for this crescendo, if you will, when he turns the corner. And I want to turn the corner a little bit here this morning. Because in Romans 3, verse 28, well, in verse 21, he says this. He says that because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. No works, total faith. That's where he's going. That's where he's getting. And I want to go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. And I want to spend a little bit of time just inserting a little footnote here because I don't want to just be hung up on this sin. I want to to show the hope that Paul is going to set before the people as he continues to hammer home how we're not worthy. In chapter 7 of Romans, verse 21, he says this. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God 
in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the flesh of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members, which is within me. It's in the very fabric of my soul or my body, if you will. And he goes on to this, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I find myself with a mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. Then he gets into the grand chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. And we can leave it right there. God did. What we couldn't do, God did. That's what Paul is building towards. Then in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among the brethren. And those who be predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's no you in any of that. There's God did. And that's what Paul is going to be building to. And so I just wanted to stop for a moment and insert that. That is the hope that we have. And that is what the grand doctrine that Paul will be teaching. It is in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is revealed in Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That's Romans. That's Paul's message this morning. But the dilemma, dilemma is sin. The argument in verses 13 to 15. See, the default position from birth it's not that we are under grace. No, it, it, we're not born with, we are born in general revelation, if you will, general grace. There's two types of grace, right? There's, there's, there's a saving grace, and then there's a natural grace. There's a, there's a general grace that sun shines on the just and the unjust, right? But, but often that we're stuck and we're left with and we're taught this idea that we're all born with that, that provenient grace, that, that, that saving, the, the saving grace, but we're not. We are born sinners, except for grandbaby. I don't know that she is, though her parents would say otherwise. But we're all stuck with this sin nature that we are born with. And the argument that Paul is now making is that we can do nothing about it from our own power. And so in these three verses, many, many commentators want to pull these three verses out and put them in a parentheses. And it's rightly so, but we'll deal with them as they're written. And so from these three verses, we will find three false arguments that we are taught or that we hear people talk about from these verses right here. And the first, the first is just simply that, that some say um, that what Paul is teaching here, and, and you get that if you ever heard a new perspective on Paul, that, that, that's somewhat where it's going. It's only a, been around for maybe 40 years, but that this is somewhere it comes from, but that some say that Paul is teaching that there are some Jewish people who did and can justify themselves by following the law, by fulfilling the law, there are some. Right here, as he's saying, verse 13, there are some who can do that, and there are some who are doing that, and there's some who are able to do that. That's a false argument. 
There's another false argument that is being made, and that is that Paul is teaching that every single one of us, every single person, though we've not maybe been handed down the law like the Jewish people, the, Moses did not hand down the law to us, and yet that law, the, the law of Moses, is written on our hearts. We have them within us, though we have not been given them as the Jewish people have. That's another false argument. And both of those arguments, probably none of us are going to get hung up on, but this last one is one that we can be tripped up on. And it is this idea that what Paul is teaching is that all that is required of you and I is to live up to the measure of knowledge that we have, right? And so God is only asking of you and of I to live up to the standard that you have and that I have. That is a false argument, though it is one we would love to embrace, but the text, the Bible, does not allow us to do that. And so what is the argument that Paul is making? Well, it's two of them. There are two. I call it against religion and against pagan. The reason I say pagan, it's a strange word for us today. And against the religious, I often talk as the Jewish people. That represents the religious, the believers. And the Greeks often is represented as unbelievers, as non-believers. But to be a non-believer would mean that we have actually heard something that we refuse to believe, right? That's not what Paul is talking about. So that's why I use the word pagan, because here are people who never even heard the gospel, if you will, who never even heard about Yahweh, who never even heard about the Messiah, who never even heard about the Old Testament, if you will, in their context. It wasn't old to them, but it is for us today. Never even heard about that. And so there was nothing for them, and those are the ones I want to focus on this morning. There was nothing for them not to believe. There was nothing for them to unbelieve. And so the argument here is for those who have heard and those who have not heard. And so first, against the religious. We see it in verse 13. In verse 13, it tells us, For it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And we would all say, yes, amen. That's right, preacher. Do what you say. Or do what you believe. How does that go? I don't follow it well. So, you know, that we're supposed to do as we say, not as we do. Or do as we, I don't know. You get it. Maybe not. Practice what you, practice what you preach. Exactly. Right? That type of mentality that we have. But that is not actually what Paul is saying here. Though that is what Paul is saying. But we must understand what Paul is actually saying here in this verse. Verse 13 is not telling us how to be justified. Verse 13 is telling us what the law requires, right? I mean, so we totally understand, completely understand that to be justified, we need to do the law. But what Paul's point is in the context of Romans chapter 3 here is what the law actually requires. And so we have to see what the law actually requires. And so I will turn back. Uh, I know it's going to be a lot this morning, but... Uh, we need to turn back to Leviticus chapter 18. In Leviticus chapter 18, it's not a book we reference much, especially a New Testament guy such as myself, but once in a while I do go back there. Um, just to prove it, I'll quote it here this morning. Uh, uh, in Leviticus chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh your God. God has a name. I am Yahweh your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt 
where you lived, nor are you to do what is the land of Cana, where I am bringing you the cultural of their day. They were also found themselves within the culture of Egypt and then of Cana. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not walk in their ways. You shall not walk in their way of understanding. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live according to them. I am Yahweh, your God. Verse 5, so you shall keep my statutes, you shall keep my commandments, my judgments, by which a man, now listen, by which a man may live if he does them. I am Yahweh. That is what Paul is referring to. You want to follow the law, you have to follow the law. James tells us in 2.5, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Is there anyone who can keep every jot, every tittle of the law? Is there anyone who can do that? Every period, every cross of the T. No one can. That is the point that Paul is making here in verse 13. We have it in Luke chapter 18, right, where the guy comes to, to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've kept them all. It's a bit arrogant. I've kept every single one of them. And Jesus said, what? This is one thing you still lack. There was something he did not do. He would not keep the law. And Jesus pointed, out, pointed that out to him, and the man left discouraged. Because he was functioning under this principle right here of verse 13, that you can keep and fulfill the law. So Paul is not saying in verse 13 what is required. Paul is saying what the law requires. Paul is not saying how we can be saved by following this law. Paul is saying if you can, if you do, it requires this right here, that you can't. That's his point that he is making in verse 13. Well, second is against the pagans. We see it in verse 14 and 15. In verse 14 and 15, it gets, let me just read it again for you. <clears throat> for, for when the Gentiles, it's, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, they do, for us, when the Gentiles, when the pagans, when those who don't have a Bible, do the law instinctively, do the things instinctively that the Bible tells us to do. These not having the law are a law to themselves, verse 15, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts or in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. There is a moral compass within each and every one of us, and I don't need to go all the way back to the last chapter and re-preach that. But if you were, to, again, to look at verse 19 or verse 20, you will see that within each and every one of us, God has revealed himself. We are created in his image. His DNA is within us. We are not unaware. You can look at creation and you can see the evidence for the creator. Our very conscience shows that there is a creator. I'm often, I'm often you know, kind of taken back by, by those who want to um, say there is no God, and, and yet when you ask them about doing this or doing that. Well, of course I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because that wouldn't be moral. Well, where do you get morals from? Well, that wouldn't be justice. Like, where do you get just from? Where does that come from? That's what Paul is speaking about. That is within it, each and every single person. There is not one person who doesn't have the fingerprint of God within them to this sense, to this extent. 
There is enough to condemn, but not enough to justify within each and every person. We all have a conscience. We call it our inner voice. We call it our inner heart, right? We have reason. It's what separates us from the animal kingdom because you can reason out. That's what thoughts here. Thoughts is just reasoning when he says that here in verse 15. Their reasoning is either accusing or defending or justifying them. That's the argument that Paul is making. That's the argument that Paul is making against the religious, against those who have the Bible, if you want to really get simplistic, those who have the Bible and those who do not have the Bible. Paul is saying neither is justified. Well, let's get to the principle. Let's get to the point. The principle is in verse 16. Actually, I'm going to read verse 11, 12, and 16 because there is a parenthesis that I just went over. So I just want to read this so it flows for you. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Do you get the point? Do you see why that, those 13, 14, and 15, if you take those out, that, that's what Paul is saying. And so that's the principle. First, that there will come a day when we will stand before a holy and just God. Paul is teaching that there will come a day when every single person will stand before a holy and just God. Verse 11, there is no partiality with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, may be repaid for his deeds, as we looked at last week, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. First principle, there will come a day when we will all stand before a holy and a justice and a right God. Second, Paul is saying that God knows our secrets. God knows the secrets of your heart right now. God knows exactly what's on your heart, what's on my heart, what's on your mind, what's on my mind. And that can either be comforting or it can be fearful. And if you're like me, it depends on the moment. <laughs> right? God knows the secrets of our hearts. John 5, 22, God has given all judgment to Jesus. And this is the third point. This is the third principle that Paul is teaching. There is only one gospel, one truth. There is not your truth or there is not my truth. Well, what's Paul saying? Didn't Paul just say here, according to my gospel? Isn't that what? So isn't he saying that it's, this is according to my gospel? That's not exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the gospel that he has, he has received, the gospel that he has been given, the gospel that he has claimed as his own, this is the gospel by which all men will be judged. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Over and over and over again, we see that there is no other way. 1 Corinthians 3, 11, the man who our denomination is named after, Martin or Menno Simons, so Mennonites, right? And so this man said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, what he built his faith on, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid 
which is Jesus Christ. And of course, we've got John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father but through me, but through Jesus. There is not your gospel. There is not my gospel. There is only God's gospel, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. There is only God's gospel. We, it is such a popular thing that we hear today. It is your truth. It is my truth, right? That's your belief. You can hold the belief. You just need to keep it to yourself. That's my belief. I'm not going to judge your belief. I will keep it to myself, right? It's a very popular way for people to think today, and it works great for keeping the peace. It works great for getting along with others. There is certainly a way to go about it, but there is only one truth. There is only one gospel. There is only one mediator. There is only one Savior. There is only one way a person can be saved, and that's by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. So let's come back to the question from the beginning. What about those who have never heard the name Jesus, who have never heard the gospel preached? What about those? What about those? In Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because by believing, one is justified, one is righteous. By confessing, one is saved, verse 10. And then we get into verse 11, and Paul wants to make this point. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here, 14. How then will they call on him who that believed? How will they believe in him who that heard? How will they hear unless someone sends, unless, they, unless they, there's a preacher, unless there's somebody, a speaker, unless there's somebody who, who witnesses to this? How will they preach unless they are sent? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and by hear, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of Christ. There is a belief and there is a confession and it can only come by hearing, the Bible is extremely clear. There is no other way to God, to heaven, to eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. So what about those who have never heard the name Jesus Christ? Martin Lloyd-Jones, often referred to as the good doctor, he had this to write. He said, there is, and I quote, there is only one answer. We do not know. We cannot answer the question. All I can say is this. I know that they were all condemned by their moral consciousness. And I can say equally that no one can be saved outside the Lord Jesus Christ. I can say no more, and as he often does, but I will go further, (laughs) I am not meant to know anymore, he says. There would be something about it in the Bible if I were meant to know more. And there is not a word. 
All I know is that those in the world today who have not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ are under the wrath of God and under condemnation. And that is my business. That is your business. And that is the business of all Christians to do all that they can to send the good news of salvation to them. It is the argument of the missionary enterprise for sending men and women with the good news, end quote. That's what, that's what the good doctor is saying, that there is only one way, and that is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's only one way for them to hear that, that is through the Bible, that is through the Word, that is through Christ, and the only one way they can receive that is by them receiving it from someone else. But who am I to argue with the good doctor? <laughs> but I believe the Bible does tell us about them. And it tells us right here in verse 12. I want to come back to verse 12. It says, For all have sinned without the law will perish. All those who have not heard will perish. The word perish is ruined, destroyed. ones who have sinned under the law, the ones who have sinned knowing the Bible, knowing Christ, they'll be judged by it. Now that should bring great soberness to you and I. We are blessed or maybe cursed with, with, a, with a huge wealth of information that we have before us. You can pull the phone out of your pocket. I don't even know why we call it a phone. We call it your pocket computer. You can pull it out of your pocket, and there is more information about Jesus Christ on there. More books are written. More ink is spilled in the digital world than we know what to do with and we can even have. We are going to be accountable for much. We are going to be greatly accountable. And the Bible tells us very clear right here in verse 12 that those who do not hear... There is no other way. They will perish. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? How does this control our life? How does this dictate what you do and what you do? How does it do with what we do with our resources, with our finances, with the gifts that God has given us? Do you think that God has given us all these things for us to enjoy? Or for us to take the message to the pagan? That's sobering. That's sobering. You know, as we looked at last week, oh, the comfort in that is that we're only held accountable, though, for what we know. We know much, and we're going to be accountable for much. The pagan who doesn't hear, there's no eternal life, but he won't be accounted. She won't be accountable for much. What does that look like? How is that fleshed out with that? The good doctor and I would agree. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us about the degrees of heaven and hell. We know that they're there, and that can bring us comfort. But we have a Savior. We have a Lord who revealed himself to us, who has risen from the grave. He wasn't, the cross didn't have the final word. The grave did because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, and for that reason, it should give us all the more hope. Listen, we need to take the message. We need to take the message to the world. 
But what they do with the message is on them. What's on us is to share the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, all you do is ask us to rise. That's it. But it's what comes after that that often we don't like. Father, I do pray that you will search our hearts and our minds this morning. What are those things that are so important to us? Help us to evaluate those. How do we use our time? How do we use our talents? How do we use our our resources? Do we use them on ourselves or do we use it so that the pagan can hear the good news about your son? Father, I pray that you will give us a burning passion for whatever you have called us to, to not to hold back, to not to pull back, to not to let fear, uncertainty, comforts get in the way. But help us to rise to the call that you have given us. Because we know the victory is won. We know the tomb is empty. We know a time is coming, Lord, where all will stand before you. And we know that you are righteous, that you are just, that you are fair, that you are a good God. You are our creator. I pray, Lord, these things in the name of Jesus.